Like, just so you guys know, this wasn't always like this, but everything that you see that, that is like that, the guy's even in the room, but I won't embarrass him, but that gets created by people within our congregation, which is super cool. And I didn't even catch the fog the first time. So uh, that was awesome. Trolley car, cityscape, fog moving in. Very, very, very cool. Well, thanks for being committed to the 11 o'clock. I've got to let you know, some of your friends that are normal 11 o'clockers betrayed you this morning. They, because they got an extra hour of sleep, they thought they could muster into the 9.30 service. And I just want to thank you guys um, for being lazy, even though you got an extra hour of sleep last night. Uh, seriously, we were up about 25 at the, at the 9.30 service. I was like, yeah, they, they won't be here, here next week. So um, anyway, and then everyone, when we lose an hour of sleep in the spring, everyone comes to, comes to this service. So glad that you're here. We're kicking off a brand new series that we just introduced by way of video this morning. And um, the way I want to start this message off is just to give you what the vision of our church is by, by way of reminder for some of you and for others of you, I want to introduce you to what we're about here at Epic Church The vision of Epic Church is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. That's the big sweeping vision for our church. There are several components to that vision, and I want to just uh, let you know that every component is significant. And and, and here are a few of those components. One is this idea of an increasing number. I will never apologize for wanting more and more people in our city to wake up to what God's up to in their lives and in the world. I'll never apologize for that. That's, that's a piece of it. Another piece is this idea of orienting our lives around Jesus. We believe Jesus is worth following, and we believe that Jesus is central in all things. And so we want all of our life to, to really orient around Jesus. And then we use this adjective entire before the word lives. We want you to orient your entire life around Jesus. And the reason we use that, it's purposeful. We, we believe that uh, one is what we're afraid of, and another is what we've come to realize. We're afraid that if we're not careful, we will like give Jesus the little religious slice of our life. Does that make sense? Like he's our Sunday friend. He's our, uh, like when my life's falling apart, I can go to him. But we believe Jesus and following Jesus has implications for every aspect of our life. So how you live in your neighborhood, how you live in your relationships, how you do your job. As a person who follows Jesus, if you get to that point, we believe that there are implications for all of those kinds of things. And, And the fourth component that I want to really launch out this series with is this component of the in San Francisco part. So this morning, we're kicking off God in the City, and what I want us to do with this series is really, I hope it will help us move beyond a mentality of just a what's-in-it-for-me way of thinking, okay? And here's why I want it to do that. I want us to look and see what, see what God's up to in our city and what that has to do with us. Because if where you and I live is just about our personal preference, how it benefits us, how it affects us personally, then there's a set of questions that come with that. Here are the questions that if it's just about me and where I live and my own beneficial reasons, then here are some questions. Who cares where I live if it's just about me? Who cares how I spend my time if it's just about my own personal preference? Who cares who lives around me? If it's just about me, it doesn't matter who my neighbors are, right? as long as they know that I'm awesome. It doesn't matter who they are. Um, it, it, if it's just about me, who, who cares whether I live in a place for a short time or a really long time? It just doesn't matter if it's about me. But if the implications are beyond just me, if there uh, is something that matters more than just what's in where I live for me, then I think there's another set of questions we need to be willing to ask. Questions like this. Uh, what's the best place for me to live? Where does God want me to live? What should I do with my time? How should I engage my neighbors that God has sent to live around me and me around them? 
what should I think about regarding the possibility of being in a certain place for a long period of time? Tim Keller, who's the pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, has helped me think through a lot of the things that get expressed in our church here. So I'm grateful. In fact, I told someone that um, I'm just going to say this up front so I don't have to quote him every time I talk about him during the series, okay? But he's helped me think about a lot of things for our church, but especially he's helped me think about um, God's heart for cities, especially cities as defined as large uh, urban cultural centers, not just in the U.S., but in our world. And so that's, uh, he's written extensively about this in his book, Center Church. It's about a 400-page, really small type, uh, textbook type thing, but he's written extensively. Everything he's written about cities is contained in that book, Center Church. So if you're uh, a nerd and you like reading those kind of things uh, like I do, it's there and great content. Um, and, and so that, that's what we're talking about. And the purpose of this series is for us as individuals and us as a singular church community to consider why we live here, um, how to think strategically about living here, and to see what God might be up to as you and I ponder these things together. So that's, that's what we're about. Let me tell you where we're headed with the rest of the series. It's just a one-month series. And so um, next Sunday, really great privilege. If you're in town, I urge you to come, not for me, uh, but for the first time ever at Epic, Shauna's going to teach with me uh, next week. And so that's Shauna's my wife, not just some random chick in our church. Um, <laughs> Shauna is my wife, and she's going to teach with me next week. And the topic next week is this whole idea that God is ascending God. And if he's ascending God and we are his people, then he sent us, not accidentally, not randomly, not coincidentally, but he sent us somewhere. And how do we live as people who've been sent by God to here or wherever the place is that you've been sent? Two weeks from today, I want to look at how our church collectively is to be what God calls a city on a hill. Uh, how do we live as a faith community in this city in a way that makes this grand difference, both in how we serve, uh, how we live as individuals, but as a part of a greater whole? And so we'll do that. And three weeks from today, the director of City Impact, one of our city partners, Christian himself, will be here to speak to us. And it's going to be fantastic. How, how do we love the least of these in our city? How do we step in and, 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 and intervene in, in lives that are broken? And so um, if you're not here for all four weeks, and I know that's very rare uh, that, that anybody is here for all four weeks, just catch up with a podcast or um, we'll keep our media online. Our crew does a great job. Uh, our tech team does a great job just getting that stuff uploaded. So when you're traveling or just can't make it for whatever reason, they'll have you covered. But that's where we're headed for the next few weeks. Here's where we're going for today. Uh, around 597 BC, um, the Jews, God's chosen people, were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and they had to live as exiles in Babylon. Um, now, Babylon was not a godly city by any means. In fact, what Keller says about the city of Babylon is that it was really this ultimate city of man. It was built on selfishness, pride, and violence. Anyone want to live in a city like that? Anybody ever lived in a city like that? Exactly. And, uh, and, and so God's people were going to live there for about 70 years. And what we're going to read in a minute is a letter that Jeremiah, the prophet of God, sent to the exiles expressing God's heart for how they should live during their captivity in Babylon. And now remember, a prophet, which we see in the Old Testament, a number of prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is the one we're looking at today. A prophet was someone who spoke on behalf of God to the people of God. And so that's what Jeremiah is going to do. He's going to write a letter to the exiles living in, ba living in Babylon, and he's going to tell them how God wants them to live. Before we get there, I wonder, what is God going to say to them? Will God tell them to live against the city, since it's such a foreign, wicked city? 
Would God tell them to just mind their own business and to, to keep a clear divide between themselves, the holy ones, and the unholy city? Would God tell them just to live in Babylon in such a way that benefits you? Don't give anything to them, but just figure out if there's something good you can take from them, should you live in that way. And so what I want you to do, if you've got a Bible, is to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you need a Bible, just lift a hand up and we'll place one into your hands. Just get those hands up. Our gift to you this morning. Keep them high. Jeremiah is about in the middle of your Bible. It's between Isaiah and Lamentations. For those of you that have an epic Bible, again, our gift to you. We're on page 425. Jeremiah chapter 29. I want us to read an excerpt from this letter that Jeremiah writes to the exiles, but it's really um, what God's message is for them. So he's not speaking as uh, one with opinion. He's not saying, I think you should do this. He's saying, here's what God has spoken, and here's how God wants you to live. I think there's much for you and I to learn here. I hope, I hope you don't feel like you're living in captivity or exile in San Francisco. Don't raise your hand if that's you. Um, but I think there's so much for us to learn in this letter. Would you stand with me as we look at these four short verses, but with great implications this morning? Jeremiah 29, verses four through seven. Here's what the letter says partly. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You may be seated. Such a unique passage of scripture, and I want to get to that in just a second, but I want to say something up front before what I'm going to do, the rest of my message is going to be leaning in a certain direction, okay? I'm not going to pretend it's not, but I want to go the other direction just to, for, for those of you that need to be let off the hook this morning, okay? Everybody ready? This is like, this is your out right here. I do not believe that God wants all of us to live in San Francisco for a long time. So if you need to throw a party with that or... You need to amen the pastor. I, I do not believe that God wants all of us to live in San Francisco for a long time. I do not believe that, okay? I, I, I know that some of you God calls here for a particular reason, which tends to mean that mm, some of you are only here for a particular season. I also know, as we'll talk about next Sunday, that God is a sending God and that what God has done already out of our church in our short history and what he will continue to do is raise up people from our congregation and send them to other cities and to other nations, okay? But I just want to make sure that as people leave this place that they're being sent and that there's purpose behind it, not merely out of convenience or fear, okay? With that being said, that not all of us are supposed to live in San Francisco for a long time, let me say this. If we are going to make a long-term impact on this city, many of us will need to consider living here for a long time. And this is where I begin to divide the room, right? <clears throat> for those of you that have made that commitment, pride is welling up in your heart. For others of you, you're thinking about what church you're going to next week that <laughs> won't challenge you to live here for a long time. I'm sure you can find some. Um, but, but that's, that's, that's what I want to look through. That's really what this series is about and what this morning is about. There is a reason, and I'm sure you know this, but there is a reason why we started Epic Church 
in San Francisco as opposed to the other 30,000 or so incorporated cities in our nation. Okay? More on that later, but just know there's a reason why we're here. Um, we did not play this little... Um, you know, uh, game with our, with our kids, like, guys, here's a U.S. map, close your eyes, throw a dart, and whatever you guys hit, that's where mom and I think we should move to start a church, okay? We did not take a poll. Remember, um, anytime you go beyond two kids, you should never have voting rights in your house, okay? <laughs> they didn't get a vote. It is not a democracy in the Pilgrim house, Okay, we had, at the time that we moved here, we had kids that were age two, four, and six, and it wasn't like, hey, do you guys want to leave the, the big children's ministry you're a part of, and do you want to leave the safe environment we live in here? Do you want to leave the neighborhood pool and the four-bedroom house? Do you guys want to leave that? No, 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 no. No, no vote here, okay? Um, I don't think we'll ever have a voting system in our household, but we certainly didn't to move here. There's a reason. We sense God leading us here. I'll get to more of those reasons um, in a, in a little bit, but as God speaks to the exiles here, starting especially look at verse five and six, he, he's doing so with this long-term consideration. He, he's really saying to them, you need to settle down. Not like in a, like settle down, you know what I'm saying? Like you need to settle down. You need to establish some roots. Look at what he says. He says to them in verse five, build houses and live in them. And some of you are thinking, God, if I could build a house here and live in it, I would, Okay. <laughs> I understood. We'll get to some of our objections to living here long-term in just a few minutes. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. So the farmer's market deal is not new to San Francisco, okay? Um, and I've got to take a poll just to vindicate myself. Uh, I have a disagreement with one of our staff members. I will not tell you who, um, who they are. Uh, but tell me, I really need this poll. I need everyone to participate. When you go to the farmer's market, is it wrong to take a sample if you know you're not going to buy it? How many of you would say, yes, it's wrong, Pastor? Yes. All the farmers, the four farmers in the church raised their hands like, no, no, <laughs> terrible. Listen, somebody's going to eat them. Um, how many think like, no, it's not wrong? <sighs> I don't know if we have an ethics issue, or, but the side that I'm on is that, no, it's not wrong. I thought, I, in fact, I think they put it here for those of us who can't spend $5 on a pluot. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, there's a reason. There's a reason. They know I'm never going to get my own. But I, I, I carve it up so that I get enough pieces that equals a whole one. And that's probably, that is probably wrong. Um, so I'm just confessing. <clears throat> you know, the executive pastor and his ethics issue, he's, uh, he's an interesting character. So eat, plant gardens, eat their produce, and then he gets into this multi-generational aspect. Take wives, and, and, and some of you guys are like, God, I would love to, I'm, you know, but I got to get a first date first. I mean, you know, you got to keep this thing going. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Have you considered whether or not God has called you here for the long term? Have you considered whether or not God has called you here for the long term? I'm not telling you there's a given answer. I've already told you, I don't think God's called all of us here. Some of us are wanting to jump in the boat that's that boat, right? And I did not ask you, do you have a plan for how long you will be here? I know that you have it. We're, we're, you're, you're around a bunch of planners, okay? There's about four of you in here that just kind of go where the wind blows. But the rest of us, we think intentional. And you know that you're going to be here for 14 months, right? 
you know, because then you're, you're going to use San Francisco to skyrocket your career, then you're going to get a bigger house, right? But you've got to be here first, so you've you got this plan, or some of your grad school students, you're like, I'm just here for school, period. I didn't say you need to stay, I just asked the question, have you considered whether or not God has called you to be here long term? Just consider. Some of you have angst filling in your heart right, right now. I'm just like, hey, I didn't put it there. You know, God's just doing something in your little selfish heart, all right? Um, ha- have you considered? Have, have you considered whether or not God has called you to be here long-term? He tells them to do all these things. He's got this long-term view in mind. They're going to be there about 70, uh, about 70 years. But have we considered whether or not God has called us to be here long-term? There are some challenges to being here long-term, aren't there? And for some of us, those of us committed to being here, call them challenges. Those of us that don't want to be here any longer than we have to be, call them objections, okay? But there are some challenges slash objections to wanting to live here long term. Let's just be honest. What's the first one? It's very expensive or rent or whatever the case is. Yeah, I tell my friends, like, you know, milk's not that different, but the housing is just, mm, right? It's an expensive place to live. Okay, and what you won't hear from me is just like, oh, just just do it in faith. Now, I I believe that you need to do some things in faith, but there's times in our life where math is just math, right? (laughs) If it costs X to live here and I don't have X, guess what? God can want me to do whatever he wants, but if I can't do it. Now, I do think we can get creative with how we live here. I do think we can dial down our lifestyle some. I do think we can think really strategically about this opportunity. But at the end of the day, math is math. Sean and I sometimes will say to each other, or I'll have this conversation with our staff, I'll say, do you know the size house we could get if we bought in such and such town? But you know what we say quickly after that? Yeah, but then we would have to live in such and such town. All right? And don't name that spot for you. We were, with, we were somewhere this summer, and um, it's like a brand new house. It looked like a mansion. It's like 4,000 square feet for like $400,000. I'm like, man, that would be awesome. But living here wouldn't, you know? <laughs> like, it's just one of those things. It, it, it's a real issue. Um, space, lack of space is a real issue. Okay, I think if you go to Tokyo for six months and come back here, you'll think it's a very spacious place here in San Francisco. Lack of space, everybody's like, yeah, I can only afford a little room or I can only afford a small place and I don't have a yard here. Um, you have the Pacific Ocean, Right? Like, oh, I'm lazy. Oh, come on. You have the ocean. You have Napa close. You're not far from mountains. You've got some incredible parks. There's lots of good reasons that I can challenge that assertion that you have. But then another huge objection slash challenge is this. It's so hard to raise a family here in San Francisco. Now I'm really dividing the room, right? Here's what, here's what I hear, and here's what some of you say. Ben, San Francisco is awesome when you're single, Share a two-bedroom place with eight other people and <laughs> just slice it up and it's so great and opportunities. And our young married couple is like, oh, you get married and this is the first place you live. You're like, this is so great, but when we have kids, we're going back to our families. Maybe. If God calls you there, that's great. Is it challenging to raise a family here in San Francisco? Absolutely. But it's interesting, in most other Arenas of our lives, we really love challenges, don't we? Right? I mean, like 10% of you are lazy, but the rest of you at the office, you love a good challenge. Anybody love problem solving? It's great. It's fun. It's challenging. It's hard at first. You work on it, and you get to the end, you're like, this is worth it. It made me smarter. It made our team think more strategic. We had to allocate resources differently. Whatever. When it comes to your physical fitness, 
Do you ever get to the next level without a challenge? No, but oh, it's too hard to raise a family here. Ben, it is challenging. It is challenging. It is absolutely challenging. Shauna and I, when we um, were in the process of moving here with our boys, I told you they didn't get a vote, um, but we did want their lives to be lived in such a way here in San Francisco that when they get to be adults, we still pray this and think this, we want them to look back, even though they didn't have a choice, and to be grateful to their mom and dad that we moved here. We, we want them to, to thank us. Here's why. Because it has forced us to be a whole new way of intentional with them. It has forced us um, to, to answer questions and to talk about things that had we have been, and we lived in a good place, but had we stayed where we were, we wouldn't have had these conversations till they were in high school, maybe college, right? We wouldn't have had to answer the question, why do some people like going around public naked, Dad? didn't get this joke, so I'm just giving you a warning, okay? (laughs) Follow me. We have to debrief all kinds of of things with our kids. And it's caused us to be intentional in the things that we talk to them about. And they've gotten opportunities here that they wouldn't get elsewhere. Now, is there this other side of it? Absolutely. Do we embrace everything in our culture? Absolutely not. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But our kids, and again, the train wreck may be on the horizon for them, but right now, because they are here and the kinds of things that are offered to them here, they're thriving. And it's a blessing for her and I. It's a blessing right now for our church in a whole new way. Something our church staff is very excited about right now is that the last three weeks in our grade school department of our Epic Kids Ministry, we've set attendance records. Now, the numbers might not sound like they're crazy, but when this thing started, I had a kid in there, Brad had a kid in there, and there was one other kid in there. Okay? The last three weeks, we've had 16, 16, and 17 grade school kids in our epic kids ministry. Incredible. We just received a, a space, another, a new space that we opened up this morning. It was going to be a second office for our staff. I don't know if you guys have ever played the game, how many people can work in one office, but that's what our staff is currently doing. And so we, we've got a second office. It just came online, and it just so happened to come online at the same time our kids ministry was growing. So we're still in one office, but... Starting right now at this hour, for the first time ever, our kids are in like an 800 square foot room as opposed to the 400 square foot room they were in because they're growing. Last week, between birth to middle school, we kicked off middle school group this fall, between birth to middle school last week, combined between 9.30 and 11 o'clock a.m., 50 kids were present in downtown San Francisco. Some people are beginning to do what they didn't think they were going to do. Shauna and I have friends in this room and in our church who, when we first moved here, they had all anticipation of moving to the suburbs to raise their kids. And not because of us, but because of getting a vision for living in a city with your children. You have to do things differently, no doubt. Um, But kids are going to be hard anywhere, just so you know, okay? Like, if you move to the suburbs, they're still not going to let you sleep through the night. Okay? I'm just telling you. And then the soccer mom thing's a whole different deal. Here, when they're six, just put them on the train, go to soccer practice. (laughs) Just for, you know. So there's a lot of advantages, all right? There are some difficult things, but they're... There are a lot of advantages, but, but hear, hear me say this, and I'm not saying it's for everyone. I've already let you off the hook on that. It's not for everyone, but hear me say this. If you and I want to reverse the trend that it's currently difficult to raise a family here, you know what we need to do? We need to raise a family here, many of us. Because here's what doesn't make sense if you really think about it logically. If this is awesome for you as a single, and this is awesome for you as a young married couple, why can't it be awesome for your first grader? Just asking questions. The heat you're experiencing is coming from God, not me, okay? I'm just, just getting it out there. Just asking the question. 
And even if it's not here, if it's Washington, D.C., where we've sent people to, we've sent people to Singapore, there are people that, that live in other parts of this state, wherever it is, live there with an intentionality and purpose. Don't live there out of convenience or fear, wherever you go. Don't let fear drive you away. And, and, and I'll tell you a little bit more about this in a second. But as he gets to verse 7, God says to them, make sure that you pray to the Lord on its behalf. On behalf of who? On behalf of this wicked city, Babylon. Now, why in the world would God want his people praying for this wicked city? Because God has a heart for all cities. Because God has a heart for all cities. One of the things Keller says that may want, make us want to argue, he says that it's, <laughs> he quotes this guy and he says, it's obvious that God loves cities more than he does rural areas. And then, every, of course, you know, the rural people getting their fist up, pride dwelling up inside the people who live in the city. And like, what's the rationale behind that? He said, well, we know we know that in highly dense urban centers, there's more image of God per square foot there than anywhere else. That's kind of the logic he goes with. Because there, again, you guys know we're living in the, most second, the second most densely populated city in America. But he talks about praying for uh, or on behalf of the city. Do you know when you begin to consider living in San Francisco or some other place long term, do you know that will alter your prayer life for that place? Let's be honest. If you think you're... It will also alter how you jump into a faith community. If you think you're here for six months, the temptation is what? Just do my work. Just do just enough so I can move on to what's really going to be next. Then I'll get involved in a church. Then I'll actually pray for the city that I live in. When you begin to consider that you could be here long term, just be open to it. It changes the way you pray for the place. It just does. And he says, and pray on behalf of this wicked city that God might, that God might do something. And then he gives this this. Um, command, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. And he finishes verse seven by saying, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This word welfare is actually the word shalom. Now, many of us know that shalom means what? Peace. We know like so many of our English words and translations, it barely gets at what's really at the heart of shalom. Shalom is this idea of completeness of blessing. Shalom is this idea of flourishing in every aspect of life and in a culture. And so what God is saying is seek the shalom, seek the flourishing, the economic flourishing, the social flourishing, of course, the spiritual flourishing of this city. And as it flourishes, guess what? You will too. What we tend to think is, as we enter into different realms of life, is what does it take for me to flourish? And we usually get very self-absorbed, right? Which leads me to this question right here. Are we only consuming from the city or contributing to the welfare of the city? Are we only consuming from the city or contributing to the welfare of the city? Now, we should, there's a lot of good stuff to consume here, right? I'm not saying do one or the other. I'm saying let's do both. But some people are only consuming, meaning this, you're only in San Francisco to make it big so you can get into what you want to do. And that's all you're trying to do. You've heard that this is a space in technology or finance or fashion or business or whatever. And so like you're here just for that reason. Some of you were just consuming the, the natural space, the creative space, the, the weather, right? Now, some of you want it to be hotter. You're crazy, all right? People are like, oh, I wish it was warmer so I could go to the beach. And other people on the other side are like, I sure wish it would snow here. Listen, go somewhere else. This, this is perfect weather, okay? Um, just the way I think about it. I just, you know, it's like, I, you know, anyway. Don't just consume, though. Let's contribute to the overall well-being, the flourishing of our city. Is there anything you and I are doing in our lives that's contributing to this place flourishing? 
Is there anything we're involved in with our time, with our attention, with our money, our other resources? Is there anything by which we're helping to make this a better place? Because it can't just be about our own good. It needs to be about the common good. It needs to be about the good of us, and not just us in this room, but all of us who live here, or wherever you live in the Bay Area, or wherever you live in the nation or the world. No matter where you live, live in such a way that the place you live is better because you're there. Is your neighborhood, let's, micro, let's get on the micro level, is your neighborhood better because of the kind of neighbor you are? Is your business better because of the kind of employee or boss you are? And guys, at the end of the day, if we go, you know what, no, and I'm not even interested in it, there's a problem. There's a big problem. Because this church was started, it better make a difference in our city. If not, we are not fulfilling the purpose for which God had us birth this church. We just aren't. There are two primary reasons why we started this church in San Francisco as opposed to the 30,000 or so incorporated cities in our nation. Again, we didn't aimlessly just throw a dart at it. Two reasons, primarily. One is because by the best account, less than 4% of people in this city follow Jesus. And we just think that's tragic. Less than 4%, probably about 2% is the best research that we found when we moved out here to start this church. 2%, do the math. Second reason is the significant influence that begins right here. Okay? Less than 4%, probably more like 2% of people follow Jesus who we think is worth everyone following. And number two, the level of influence that derives from right here. Now, we assume that the second one's going to stay true for the foreseeable future. We assume that things will continue to start here and have deep influence into the future and deep influence around the globe. Anybody with me on that assumption? I think that's going to stay the same. But what if the first reason we moved here began to change? Think about the level of influence remaining the same but what if 4% becomes 5%, becomes 8%, becomes 10%, becomes 20%? Now what happens? What happens when a significant number of people begin to orient their entire lives around Jesus while realizing the influence that they have? I'm sharing about this in the first service. In between services, one of our faithful guys here who's seen God change his life, we baptize him here comes up to me and says, I just got promoted yesterday and I am not qualified for this position, but the reason they promoted me is because of the influence they want me to have. And now that they've given me this position, guess what? I get to have, I said, what's your new job? He said, oh, and talked about his company. He said, I'm over the whole U.S. division. Influence. Listen to what Tim Keller says about places like San Francisco regarding influence. He says, people who live in large urban cultural centers Occupying jobs in the arts, business, academia, publishing, the helping professions, and the media tend to have a disproportionate impact on how things are done in our culture. True? He says things like this. If you want to, you can go any city and reach a lawyer, but if you want to reach the entire profession, there are specific places you need to go. You can make a movie from a number of cities today. But if you want to reach a profession, this is where stuff happens. And so what if the level of influence stays the same? It goes far into the future. It goes all the way around the globe, but the 4% begins to increase. Can you begin to dream with me? But it can only happen if many of us choose to stay here, or at least consider choosing to stay here for a long term. Now listen, some of you don't have jobs and you need to go somewhere else. 
I get that. I'm not saying whatever your situation. No, God's heart is for the globe, and so God is everywhere. He calls people everywhere, but there's no doubt there's some strategic nature to being in a place like this. You're not here by accident. What if this becomes a place um, where the 4% grows? What if this becomes a place where families begin to thrive? What if this begins, uh, becomes a place where business leaders and entrepreneurs begin to care about more than merely profits and out of generosity because Jesus is changing their heart, they use their influence more than what they're using it for today? What if people who now want themselves to be known come to understand who Jesus is and in wanting to make him known, they realize they've been given a platform? Talk about how that fits personally starting next week. But what if this happens? What better place to influence the world in the future than right here? Especially living as people who are orienting our entire lives around Jesus. If God doesn't have this as your place, great. But I just want to make sure wherever you go, it's out of purpose rather than convenience and fear. Okay? Just promise me that. Have a good reason to leave. We'll bless you. We will help launch you. We'll start churches in other cities, whatever. But if we're going to exit this place, and, and this is not your pastor signing a lifetime contract in blood this morning, okay? But as far as we know, I can say this openly and honestly. People closest to me could tell you this. We're praying, hoping, believing, and strategizing as though we're going to be here the rest of our lives. It changes when you begin to do that. It's a bit scary at first because you realize, well, some other cool places I'll never live. But... But we think we can make a longer-term impact by staying here a long time. Three groups of people I want to address as we close. The first one is this. For those of you that know this is short-term for you, like you've really sought the Lord out on this, and you know this, this is just short-term. You're here to do your medical residency. You've already, you already, you, some of you already know what's next, which is super cool. Um, while you are here, jump in with us. If it's three months, let's make it an awesome three months. Really low level of expectation here at Epic. You don't have to really be around before you jump in here. We'll probably raise our standards one day, but for now, <laughs> if you've got a couple months, just jump right in. For those of you that would consider staying in the Bay Area, specifically San Francisco even long term, let's begin to strategize on what we could really do for the common good of our city. Let's begin to think with the 4% in mind while realizing that there's, there's influential possibilities that exist like crazy. And the third group of people I want to address are those of you who never imagined that you would meet God while you were in San Francisco. The greatest joy and why we started the church is for that to happen. While we love the city at large, while we love talking about an increasing number, what's represented in the, both of those equations is um, it, it's, it's individuals. The reason we started this church was so that you might encounter God. Period. We think the rest will take care of itself. The, the reason why Shauna and I, with our two, four, and six-year-old sons, said, hey, let's move 2,000 miles away from family is because we were under the hope, belief, and confidence that some of you would come to find Jesus because this church started right here. The reason why three other families and one other single individual left the comforts of their jobs, their other churches, their stable life, put it all on the line. Some of them moving out here without jobs is so that, as surprising as it may be, that you might find Jesus to be better than you ever imagined. Two weeks, you've already heard this, I think, but we're doing baptisms in our service. And any of you that have crossed the line of faith, we'd love for you to take that next step and be baptized. But for many of you, the step, the application for today is this. 
It's, it's more con- contemplative than it is um, action-oriented. Would you begin just to consider if God's got you here for a long time? And if he does, what that means? And if he has you somewhere else, what that means? He's a purposeful God. What looks like it's accidental or coincidental to you and I, it's not. The fact that you're here this morning, not an accident. Oh, I know it's because a friend promised you lunch or something. I know someone told you you'd meet your future spouse here. Again, it's a small percentage pastor gets for that service. But God's up to something in your life. And he's got great intention behind why you're here for a season, why you might go somewhere else, or why you might need to consider being here for a really long time. I would love to, 30 years from now, have conversations because of what God's stirring in our church and in your heart and your life. I would love to, 30 years from now, have a conversation where we look back on 2013 and, and you say to me or to someone else around you, gosh, we thought we were just going to be here for 18 months. Now, 30 years later, we've got a house. We've had kids here who are getting ready to have kids here. How might it change the 4%? If you don't give your life to something as significant as I'm inviting you to give to, make sure it is something as equally significant wherever else it is. Would you guys do that for me? Let's pray. Band's going to come up and lead us in a song that just, I think, is perfect for this consideration that we're talking about today. It's just saying to God, God, like, here's... Here's my heart, whatever is true. God, whatever your purpose is for me. And again, your homework this week is just to ask God the question. I love hearing stories of people who think they landed in San Francisco for a particular niche reason, right? They just got put on this team or, or, or they came here because the one-year internship or there was this opportunity, but it's short-lived. I love how people now come to me and go, Ben, I, I realize God has me here for more than just a job. A job's part of it, but it's not all of it. Friends, if you think a job is the whole reason you're here, please ask God to show you what else. I promise you there's an answer. God, I thank you that you've called our church into this influential hub in our world. God, I thank you that you've given us a heart to see people come to follow Jesus and to, and to treasure Jesus and to put worth on Jesus as everything. And God, we pray, as has happened more this year than ever before for Epic, that people would continue to find what they're looking for in you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would open up possibilities for us all to stay here who you want to stay here. God, I pray for those looking for jobs, God, needing unique creative housing opportunities. God, I pray that you would help us come together and strategically think, how do we do this? And then God, help us as followers of Jesus to think about how we're using our influence. God, we pray for our city. God, I pray that out of all the things that it's known for right now, God, that it would come to be known as a place where Jesus is at work. There's a movement happening and not just lives are being transformed, but communities and industries are being transformed. God, may it be so in our lifetime. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me? As Brad and the team sing this song, I just want you to make this your prayer. Um, God, speak what is true, especially through the lens of where I'm supposed to live and what I'm I'm supposed to do as I live there.